Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. Daniel chapter 7, I've been asking the Lord about this evening. We are now in what is called Yom Teruah, the day of Teruah, Teruah. Right now at sunset begins the Feast of Trumpets. Later added in by the rabbis called Rosh Hashanah, or the head or the beginning of the year. And we're going to study this biblical significance. But first let's read from the book of Daniel, chapter 7 and verse 9. Daniel says, I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. Hallelujah. All those that have gray hair, be encouraged. Glory to God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> His throne was ablaze with flames. Come on, folks. His throne was ablaze with flames. What kind of God is this that we serve? Its wheels were a burning fire. And a river of fire was flowing. A river of fire was flowing. A river of fire was flowing. See it with your spiritual eye tonight. See it with your spirit man tonight. Don't try to imagine something from the Lord of the Rings, Lord of Schmrings, whatever that stuff is called. Hollywood, Schmollywood. Forget about entertainment. This is something so terrible yet so wonderful. A river of fire was flowing. And the enemy wants to beat you down, make you tired, make you consumed with the cares of life so you not even realize this day is approaching quickly. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. This is what got my attention. The court sat and the books were opened. 
The Feast of Trumpets begins what is called the Days of Awe. The days that the books are opened. And we need to be thankful for the blood that Jesus has shed for us. We need to do inventory and audit our lives tonight. We need to go through the things. Even if, if you don't know necessarily you're living in rebellion, maybe you have little nagging fears or unbelief that's not pleasing to God. Whatever it may be, we need to audit ourselves tonight because a river of fire is flowing and the court has sat down, the court of heaven, and the books are opening and whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's why this river that we've been in must move towards evangelism, must move towards warning people, must move towards the day of judgment. We must warn the people of this courtroom setting. There's no appeals. There's no wise, crafty Jewish lawyers working here in your defense. <laughs> this is, brothers and sisters, the days of awe. May we stand in awe of him. Hallelujah. The court sat and the books were open. I want you to understand that. It's very important tonight to understand what this word means. Actually, the word Daniel... Daniel means the judgment or the justice of God. Dan was the northernmost tribe in Israel. The justice of God in the tent of tribe of Dan was to sit at the northern border and to keep back Israel's enemies. But when there was no justice, Dan broke down got scared, moved back down toward Tel Aviv, said it's too difficult up there, didn't stand in the gap of justice, and Israel's enemies came in repeatedly and holocausted her. Verse 11, then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, its body was destroyed and given to burning fire. So we see this river that's coming out of the throne room of God that's in sync with the books being opened and us being judged. It's not God just judging us, but this fire is to destroy the false prophet, the Antichrist, Babylonian system. Look at your neighbor and say, welcome to the war. This is what we've been training for. Say that. This is what we've been training for. And the rest of the beast, verse 12, and their dominion was taken away. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. But an extension of life was granted to, to them for an appointed period of time. This speaks about Satan being released in the last days for a short period of time in Revelation. Verse 13, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. Hallelujah. And he came up to the Ancient of Days. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. 
which will not pass away. We need to get our eyes off from sea to sea, the dominion, the theme song of Canada. We need to look beyond Canada, amen? We are citizens of a different land, of a different nation. Hallelujah. We're just pilgrims passing through here, which will not pass away. and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. And the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I keep on seeing the numbers 911. I see a license plate 911. I see it over and over and over. 911. I know that we're in a time of warning and distress coming upon the nations. Whew, hallelujah. Let's look at verse 10 again. The court sat and the books were opened. The Bible says we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The more I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced that it's not once saved, always saved. It's those who overcome that shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, God is love, but he says through his son that if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you, projectile, spew you out of my mouth. I can't help but to think of many that will say, Lord, Lord. And when I think of that, I think, Lord, I need to look into my own life even more. I want to run this race. I want you to say on that day when the books are open, well done. I don't want you to say medium rare. I want you to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's going to require a much more sold out fruitfulness than we've ever experienced before. I hear the bell lap. Today we sat at lunch, fellowshipping, and then topics started coming up of the current Christendom. And nobody was wanting to be critical. Nobody was wanting to be judgmental. Nobody was thinking that we arrived. But we began to talk and discuss with one another how things have changed. How the river, or those who say in their renewal, is, it's spooky. That things are happening. And so a deception is in the land. And that we need to enter in to the weeping, lamentation anointing of Jeremiah. That judgment is coming to the house, and we need to move into intercession. Brothers and sisters, I'm alarmed, very alarmed in this hour. I have a dear friend named Lars Anarson, the Elijah Prayer Army. It's not the Elijah List. It's called the Elijah Prayer Army, based in Jeru- out of Israel, Jerusalem. And he wrote an excellent article about this day. I want to read parts of it to you. Turn with me to Leviticus 23, 24. Leviticus 23, 24. Leviticus 23 and 24 says, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, 
In the seventh month, on the first of the month, that's tonight, right now. On the lunar calendar, okay? We're on a different calendar in the Bible. You shall have a Shabbat of rest. You shall have a day of total freedom. <laughs> and the Sabbath is, which begins tonight, and it's very interesting that Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of begins on tonight. That we don't worship a time period. We don't worship a day. Jesus is the Shabbat. Shabbat means to cease, to stop what you're doing. I think it's exciting that we're here at church tonight. Amen? I think it's good that we pray for Israel tomorrow morning at 1030. And it says, a reminder by blowing of shofars, a holy convocation. Now listen, right here. You shall not do any laborious work. But you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. An offering of fire tonight. Hallelujah. And then verse 26, the rest of chapter, we move into the Day of Atonement. Into the Feast of Booths, verse 34. And this is something, which is tabernacles, which the Bible says in the last days, the nations that do not celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, there'll be no rain upon them. I'd like to open up some of these things to you. Tonight is the night of the blowing of the shofar, the Feast of Trumpets. It's a shadow pointing to the blowing of the shofar at the return of the Messiah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud shout and command, and the voice of the archangel, and the shofar call of God. And the dead and Messiah will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. When you hear the shofar, amen, you need to be encouraged in this hour. I believe when the devil hears the shofar, they get all nervous and start overdosing on Prozac. They think it's the final trumpet. <laughs> it's amazing when you study the, about the Feast of Trumpets, how... Some tradition falls straight in line with what the apostles wrote about. The Bible truly is one book with one message from cover to cover. Number one, the Feast of Trumpets is called Yom Teruah, which is translated as the Day of the Awakening Blast. It's the day of the first resurrection. Paul wrote, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the trumpet of God and the dead of Messiah will rise first. What a day of trumpet blast that will be. Hallelujah. Second, the Feast of Trumpets is also called Yom HaTzikron, which is the day of remembrance. This is the day to remind ourselves that Jesus is coming soon. Paul wrote that Yeshua or Jesus is coming back. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
We need to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets to remind ourselves of this great day. It is to be a consecrated day before the Lord, set apart for him as a day of remembrance, a sacred assembly commemorated with the shofar blast. We're here tonight. We could be doing a million other things. We decided to have meetings now. Pastor John decided, asked me to come at this time because this is the time for us to remember. Hallelujah. Swing low, sweet chariot. I tell you, we're going to be going home. I don't know when. But the more I see happening in the Middle East, the more I can hear the sound of the horse, that white horse. Hallelujah. Pawn on its way back. Glory to God. The third thing the Feast of Trumpets is called is Yom Hadin. Yom Hadin, which is the day of judgment. Acts 17, 31, Paul says, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So there is a court date coming. And this is what Charles G. Finney would preach. That's why over 80% of his converts stay true. Billy Graham preached and less than 20% stay true. Why? Because we have evolved into a message of God loves you, God will forgive you. Where Finney never gave an altar call. He never told people to come forward. He never told people to close their eyes and raise their hand and repeat this prayer. He preached the day of judgment coming. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. And people were riveted and changed and repented. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, it says, God is just. He will pay back to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. That's why we're commanded to leave the room. Amen? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God knows his vengeance pattern. Many times people would come against Dalit and I, call us false prophets, whatever, and we would, not, we would just love them, bless them, and move on. And later we hear horrible stories of them dropping dead. It's, not the, it's happened several times, folks. We don't wish it upon people. But I will say this. When you love Jesus with all your heart and you're serving him, you will become a reproach, and God will take care of those who trouble you. The judgments that will be poured out upon the earth when Yeshua returns must not be confused with the great tribulation, which is Satan's wrath against God's people. If we, if we are right with God, we will certainly escape his wrath. But we have never been promised to escape the persecution, wrath, and tribulation of the devil. Only that we will be strengthened to go through it and to be overcomers. Many confuse the wrath of God with the wrath of Satan. We must differentiate between that. The Bible says that Satan knows his time is short and he's going out quickly to deceive the nations. We spoke about that last night. 
Also, the Feast of Trumpets is called Yom HaKish, which is the hidden day. The reason for this is that it is the only feast in the Bible celebrated on the first day of the month. The biblical months always began with a new moon. In ancient times, the he- they watched the heavens, the constellations, to look for the sign of the new moon. They were not certain when they would see the new moon on the horizon. Glory to God. And so we're not certain about that day when Jesus returns. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. No one knows that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord comes. Fifth, the Feast of Trumpets is also called the last shofar. First Corinthians 15, listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last shofar, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This feast is called the last trumpet or the last shofar for two reasons. First of all, during the sixth month, the shofar has been blown in every morning in the synagogues to wake people up and prepare them. So six months before this date, all summer long, waking people up, okay, throughout the spring, and then the final shofar is blown on the Feast of Trumpets tonight. There is no more shofars blown until the Day of Atonement. Secondly, there was a teaching throughout the early sages that only two times in the Scriptures when the Lord himself blows a shofar. The first time was at Sinai during Shavuot or Pentecost. The law was given at Pentecost, and the Bible talks about the sounds of the trumpets in Exodus, in Hebrews chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 12, talks about the sound of the trumpet, and it scared the people so bad, they begged Moses, you go talk to God, lest he talk to us and keep blowing that trumpet and we die. People talk about when the shofar is blown, they come to me and say, when you blew that, something went through me. And I just smile and says, uh, it's just the beginning, folks. It's getting stronger and stronger. Hallelujah. The second time that the trumpet shofar will be blown is in Zechariah 9, verse 14. You may want to turn to that. This is a very powerful text. Zechariah 9 and verse 14. The Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning, and the sovereign Lord will sound the shofar and march in the tornadoes or hurricanes of the south, and the Lord Almighty will be a shield to them. 9, 14, and 15. Whoo, man, that's powerful stuff. That's why when you see all these hurricanes and tornadoes, actually, we heard tonight there was a tornado warning south of here. I don't know if that means South Ontario or Southern Florida, but anyway, 
<clears throat> but it's very interesting, brothers and sisters, the amount of hurricanes, typhoons, tornadoes that have been happening in the last two years. Six, the Feast of Trumpets is called the Wedding of the Messiah. It's the final part of the wedding ceremony. Hallelujah. It's the consummation of the marriage called Lachach. This is so awesome, folks. Say Lachach. Lachach in Hebrew means to seize and take. It's the same word to be caught up. The first time it's used in the Bible is when whew, Enoch was not for God Lachach took him. It's used, we call it the rapture. The rapture's not in the Bible, the name rapture. The snatching away is Lachach. It says, and David says that the last psalm he wrote of his life, I'll see, I'll see your glory and you'll take me up. Without a Bible chance throughout the Bible, there is a snatching away. Actually, I did my uh, did my dissertation or whatever you want to call it at seminary. I did it on the snatch, the idea of afterlife and post-exilic literature of ancient Israel. Went into the Ugaritic, which is a sister cognate language of Hebrew. Okay, and it showed. Anyway, I won't get into all of it. <laughs> Be here too long talking about it. That there is an idea of a snatching away in the Old Testament scriptures. It's not something new. Now, the only the problem that causes debate in the church is it pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, or in between, whatever. Well, there is none. Okay. We don't know the time and season, but I will tell you it's pre-wrath. So you did not shout. It is pre-wrath. Hallelujah. <laughs> there without a doubt is a snatching away of the bride to himself. Glory to God. And this is, glory to God, the sign of the Feast of Trumpets. Don't worry, ladies, your, your night on a white horse is coming. Hallelujah. His name is Jesus. Oh! It says in John 14, 3, that if I go, I prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you with me, to be with me, that where I am you may be also. The Jewish wedding tradition of the ancient time was the father chose the bride. And he would tell the son, go build a place for her. Go build out the honeymoon suite. And he would go and work on that. And at, he did not know when the father would say, okay, now go get your bride. Hallelujah. And as the bride would come in, there was the sound of a trumpet. And they had to be ready to start the wedding celebration. Glory to God. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. All the fall feasts of the Bible are connected with the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Beginning at the Feast of Tabernacles, we will then celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb for a thousand years in Jerusalem. And seventh, the Feast of Trumpets is called Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year or the first of the year. 
Hallelujah. Even though the biblical New Year is in the spring during Passover, corresponding with the exodus out of Egypt and our new birth, the Feast of Trumpets is also associated with the new beginnings and therefore is celebrated today in the Jewish calendar as the Jewish New Year. Traditionally, this is when Adam was created, and accordingly to many biblical signs, this is when the last Adam, Yeshua or Messiah, was born. So there's a lot of thought into, and we can't, of course, identify it, but we know that December 25th was a later addition into church history. <laughs> it's during this time that Jesus was born. Hallelujah. It was at the Hanukkah time, hallelujah, that he was most likely conceived. Glory to God. Woo! The light of the world, hallelujah, came at Hanukkah. <laughs> You've got to go to Israel with this, man. Come on. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What I hear tonight is that what God is pointing out, that we can't just start looking at all the excitement of Jesus returning and being his bride and all that wonderful wedding stuff. We have to understand that before that happens, there is a judgment. And the books are open and the court is in session. And so as I was hearing Victoria, she was blowing the shofar, anointed tonight, sister. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I began to hear the Lord saying, prepare yourself. Prepare the people for the court date. And I was thinking, well, what is the deepest one? And then it, I remember, I remember the preparation for the court date. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Vahafta et Adonai Elohecha, Uvachol Levecha. Anyway, what I'm saying is that hear, O Israel, it's not an invitation, it's a command. Listen, hear, O Israel. The Lord is one. Now, some people have gotten upset about that, saying that we preach a trinity and God is really one. And that shows how stupid they are when it comes to Hebrew. But anyway, the same word one is used, it's the plurality of oneness. Adam and Eve became one, the Bible says. It uses the same word here, echad. The cluster of grapes that Joshua and Caleb brought back is called echad. So husband and wife or a clustering of grapes together is called echad. Come on, even Elohim is a plural. It means God in plural. And to counter Jewish missionaries, Messianic Jews that were winning Jews to, to Jesus, Mamadnes came up in the 10th century and changed this to absolute oneness, from plurality of oneness to absolute oneness. So when you talk to Jewish people, you can mention those things, okay? 
The Trinity is throughout the Old Testament. We don't have time now unless you want to see it. <laughs> Let's move on. And it says here, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, you rise up. Sounds like 24-7 to me. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, called mezuzah. And it goes on, it talks about the Lord when he brings you the land which he swore to your fathers, verse 10, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, to give you great and splendid city which you do not build, and houses full of good things which you do not fill. Come on, ladies, get excited. <laughs> Huge cisterns which you do not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you do not plant. You shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch, whoop, whoop, yourself. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt to the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God. And you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. So it says, to my Jewish understanding, when we have a very real possibility of hundreds of millions of Muslims led by Iran, by a loco, messianic figure, the president of Iran, who has the delivery system already that can reach a rocket, ICBMs that can reach Europe, and they're just waiting and buying time and saying he loves everybody. Come on. You know, that's the lies he's been saying. And refuses to back off his rhetoric and says Israel needs to be wiped off the face of the earth, so much so that everybody in Israel is taking it seriously. And the reason the people were mad at President Bush because he has some type of backbone to stand up to these people. And it's not a, a few soldiers dying in Afghanistan or Iraq that's getting people upset, okay? Because they know we're heading toward war. And you say, why is this happening? I tell you why. Because Israel is worshiping other gods. They're not doing the Shema Israel that God commanded. And throughout biblical history, America and Canada are very, very young nations compared to biblical history. That whenever Israel would sin against God, God would raise up her enemies to afflict her until she repented. That is the chapter after chapter of the book of Judges. And somewhere in that midst, people cried out, and God would anoint a nobody like Gideon. Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. A Deborah. And they would bring deliverance to God's people from the surrounding terrorist armies. And that's where we are right now. 
Everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes, like the book of Judges say. All these different ministries, there seems to be no cohesiveness in the river of God. People are getting flaky and chasing angels and chasing manifestations. Holiness is something they call religion, okay? Being religious. There is not this drive for evangelism. The great commissions become the great omission. Seeker-sensitive, Winnie the Pooh messages dominate the scene. Amen. Hallelujah. And Israel is the most adulterous, pagan, hedonistic nation I've ever seen. My wife and I weep each time we go there because it's not the Israel she was raised in. I just got the email this evening in there. I was looking at my emails and just got an email from a dear Israeli said that November 10th, the, the, the Jerusalem World Gay March is on. It was canceled in August because of the war. And they still didn't learn their lesson. That's one reason why the war broke out against them. And now it's back on. And so, brothers and sisters, Israel, Tel Aviv has become the gay capital of the world. Their Euro singer, the one who won, won the Euro Awards for singing, was a transvestite from Israel. See, a lot of people come to Israel and think everything is holy and pure and right. It's that, folks, come on. And so we see this idolatry, this hedonism, this horrible, horrible paganism in Israel. And God's jealousy is burning right now. And the only people that can save Israel in this hour to stand in the gap are people like you and I that love Jesus. Thank you for your enthusiasm tonight. You say, why are you so excited about Israel? Folks, they're the prodigal sons of the New Testament. They got to go home before we have this wedding, okay? Now, I want you to listen. This is, the Lord spoke this to me two weeks ago. The early church was all Jewish for the most part, Okay? And they had to have a big council in Acts 15, right? Because Paul and Barnabas were coming back with all the reports of Gentiles getting born again, right? And they said, no, unless they circumcise, keep the law of Moses, they can't be saved. Big arguments going on among the Jewish church. It was a Jewish church. It was not a Gentile church. And so the Jewish believers, thank God they were listened to the Holy Ghost, made adjustments to incorporate the wild olive branch, the Gentiles, into their nation. Right? And so that's been going on for 1,900 years now. Now, the Gentile church has to make adjustments again to bring back in the real olive root, the Jewish people. We're going to have to start making adjustments about holidays we observe. It's not Easter, it's Passover. Feast of Unleavened Bread is the resurrection. Hallelujah. It's Pentecost. Come on. Not Memorial Day or Labor Day. Ho, oh, hallelujah. It's Sukkot Tabernacles. Not Thanksgiving. Oh, kabashat. We got to start thinking Jewish. Not rabbinical. Not the rabbis who rejected Jesus. Go back further. Start thinking Hebraic, biblical of the Bible. 
we're going to have to start making adjustments so the Jewish people can come back in and be grafted back in. And the biggest thing Satan does not want you to adjust on is replacement theology. He wants you to believe everywhere it says Israel in the Bible or Jerusalem, it means the church. That's not good hermeneutics. I call that hermeneutical gymnastics, where you jump, twirl, and stretch the truth, okay? Ooh, ha, shukabah. And so we see here, and we, I don't want to talk about this too much, okay, because I don't feel people kind of pulling on me to go more this direction. Let's get back into the Yom HaDin, the day of judgment. And so I've been asking the Lord, what is the best way to love you? And when they ask Jesus, what is the foremost commandment? Understand, they're not trying to figure out analyze God, they want to know how to please God. So what is the number one way to please God? They asked Jesus. And he said, no, is that what he said? He said, hear, O Israel, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we're trying to love God without listening to God. The number one commandment is listen. Come on, let's get it inside of us tonight. The only way to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves is to listen. That's why he's given us two ears and one mouth. Twice as much listening as we do talking. It was funny today that it was great steak she made, by the way, today. But it was funny as she, you know, Eldora was getting a little bit upset with herself that it was a little bit too dry, you know. They're perfect. But I did, it just came up out of me. I said, you know, well, you know, <laughs> the more we'll be chewing, the less we'll be talking. <laughs> and I thought, you know, you know, the more meat we eat as Christians, the less we're going to talk. <laughs> Especially when it has no blood in it and it's well done. So I began to also think when Solomon had to take over David's leadership, his father, and he went and prayed, and he offered up a thousand sacrifices one night. That's a lot of bulls. And God came to him in the night and says, ask what you want, and I'll give it to you. And what did Solomon ask for? Go to 1 Kings 3. Ho! First Kings 3, and verse 9, he says, So give thy servant wisdom or an understanding heart to judge thy people, to discern between good and evil. So notice what he asked for, which was pleasing to God, was wisdom or understanding heart 
the actual Hebrew is totally different. So you got to learn Hebrew. It's the language of heaven. A hearing heart. The margin of the New American Standard shows the literal translation. Solomon asked for a listening heart. He didn't ask for more IQ. He didn't ask for more reactivated brain tissue. He didn't ask for it to be like an Einstein and have a bad hair day, okay? He asked for a hearing heart. Whoa. But there's more to it. To do what? To discern. Most of us have been asking for a hearing heart to get from God. To find out what our destiny is so we can hear his voice. Come on. The purpose of a hearing heart is to discern so we could judge. Ooh, the word judge, people don't like that today, do they? Bunch of sissies. Hey? Yes. James was the brother of Jesus. His name is Yahuwah. His name is not James. He took on the word name James to help the Gentiles out. They think Jewish, these guys, okay? They're Jewish. James, when he say ask for wisdom, it's totally a different concept in the East than it is here in the West. We're not asking for information, ability to do the New York Times crossword puzzle backwards, okay? We're not asking for ability to be a nuclear engineer here or to go and play double jeopardy and win a bunch of money. Come on. We are asking for the ability to listen to the correct voice, to judge and discern. And this carried on with Solomon. Go with me to Proverbs now. The book of Proverbs. I hope you guys get this tonight. This will save your life tonight. Hallelujah. I want to, I, I want I may have talked about this before, but I want you in this context to understand. The purpose of the trumpet, you know, is to make you wake up and listen. It's not a musical instrument. It's a blast. It's a warning. And Solomon was so affected by this answered prayer. He didn't ask for riches, long life, or his enemies, vengeance. He asked for a hearing heart to discern and judge. And so the book of Proverbs... We're not trying to learn a bunch of ways to motivate people, okay, or to make right decisions by short little sayings, okay? The purpose of Proverbs of Solomon is to warn the young men of the two evils before them, the wise woman and the, and the evil woman. That's the whole purpose of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs does not even begin until chapter 10. Because I'm serious about this, folks. When I get into Proverbs here, you better beware what I'm saying, okay? Tonight is a night of judgment. Tonight is the warning night. This is not a night to be nice. This is a night that we're going to the courtroom, okay? So it says in Proverbs, the whole purpose of, of Proverbs 
is chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Now I'm going to bring this down to you. Verse 20, it says, wisdom shouts in the streets. The word for shout is, ah! It's the word rina. It screams in the streets. She lifts up her voices. Verse 22, oh, naive ones, will you love simplicity? You sit around and watch TV a lot and satellite, you'll become naive. And fools hate knowledge. Behold, turn to my reproof, verse 23. I'll pour out my spirit on you and make my words known to you. Verse 26, I will laugh when you're calamity. I thought God is a God of love. Come on. Verse 27, when your dread comes like a storm, your calamity comes like the whirlwind. They will call on me, but I'll not answer. They'll seek me diligently. Early morning prayer, shakar, but they'll not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. I love verse 32 and 33. For the waywardness of the naive shall kill them, and the complacency of fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and be at ease from the dread of evil. Okay, that's just the first chapter. Now I want you to look over here in chapter 9. Excuse me, chapter 10 and verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. Chapter 10 verse 1 shows us that finally the Proverbs begin. So what is the discourse of the first nine chapters all about? You have to understand this in a Jewish context, okay? The whole context of the first nine chapters is about two women. Two women in the streets that are crying out to the simple ones. The first one is called the harlot. Go with me to chapter 5, you'll see. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Verse 2 of chapter 5. That you may observe discretion, your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Not only is the word of God sharper than a two-edged sword, but listening to this evil woman will bring you down quicker than you think. Many men of God and women of God have been brought down because they couldn't keep their Levi's on. You can't be a Levite unless you keep your Levi's on. And it all begins with the kingship franchising mentality. Those who are power orientated, numbers orientated. What was Sunday morning? How, how many people were here? What was the offering? Nickels and noses. And getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I watch it. Those people usually fall into sexual sin right away. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. It happens. I'm not those dumb. Folks, I've been in ministry for 21 years. I ain't going to be quiet anymore. Hallelujah. <laughs> Look at verse 5. Her feet go down to death. Her lips lay hold of Sheol. So we see now that actual the, the Proverbs is warning these young men of this woman. Not only is she adulterous, but her very house is the gateway to the underworld. Is that heavy or what? Her very house 
is the gateway to the regions of the damned. And he goes on and says here in verse 7, Now then, my sons, Shema, listen to me. Go with me to chapter 7 and verse 20. You can read, I won't read the whole chapter 7 talking about what, what does, how this woman operates, okay? How she flatters, how she's boisterous, rebellious, okay? How she comes out and grabs a hold of a young man lacking sense, says that my husband has gone on a long trip, okay? Verse 24, it says this. Well, actually, verse 22. Suddenly, verse 21, this is so good. With many persuasions, she entices him. With flattering lips, she what? The Hebrew word is smooth. Watch out for people that speak smoothly. We need to have rough sandpaper messages. Amen? Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn to her ways. Do not strain to her past, for many are the victims she has cast down, numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death, the underworld, folks. So Solomon takes seven chapters to warn the young men of this gateway into the underworld. Now, chapter 8 is the total opposite. Let's begin now. Does not wisdom call, understanding, lift up her voice. At the top of the heights, besides the way where the paths made, she takes her stand. Besides the gates at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call. My voice is the sons of men. Naive ones, discern prudence, fools discern wisdom. Listen, for I shall speak noble things. So now this is called Hebraic parallelism. Okay? To get the point across, wisdom is personified as a woman. So you have the evil woman and you have the wise woman. And Proverbs haven't even begun yet, okay? Until you understand the, the dynamics of these two, two gateways into the underworld or heaven or the two women and how they operate, you're not going to understand the rest of the book of Proverbs. In verse 12, she says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So we now begin to see the first thing that differentiates the wisdom of this world, the evil woman, and the wisdom of God is the hatred for evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, the evil way, the perverted mouth I hate. It goes on and says, I love those who love me, verse 17, and those who seek me early in the morning, the blackness of the dawn, diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, etc., etc. 
I like verse 21, the endowment. To endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Hallelujah. Now, the most exciting thing happens I've ever seen in the Old Testament scriptures. Solomon, by the Spirit of God, starts speaking of the pre-Adamic world. This is the only place in the Bible it's mentioned. This is pre-Genesis 1. Before the world began, we now hear this wise woman describing what the creation was like before it was even created. Let's read it. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Ooh, I like that one. Before his works of old, from everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While I not yet made the earth, the fields, the first dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. Who's she talking about? Jesus, right, come on, it's Jesus. Because we see 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God has taken the wisdom of the world, it's foolishness, right? And who has become the wisdom of God? Jesus, it says, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, right? So now we're seeing women, a woman personified as wisdom to get the young man's attention, to listen, and that this woman actually is the pre-incarnate son of God, hallelujah, who was with the Father before the world began. And it goes on and says here, verse 29, before he set the sea for its boundary, that the water should not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was besides him a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing the world his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Therefore, sons, listen to me. Now, this is some of the most exciting literature in the Bible for me, personally. Because when it's talking of Jesus before the world began, two words are used here that I believe is the current reformation in the church. Number one, he says, I was daily his delight, in verse 30. Rejoicing always before him. The word rejoicing, if you look at the margin of New American Standard, says playing. It's the Hebrew word, misachechet, which we get the word from Yitzhak, which is Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter. Right? So did the promise come through Ishmael or Isaac? So it means laughter. But in this cow form, it means not just laughter, but frolicking and playing. It's used of children playing in the playground. <laughs> Come on, folks. He's Abba. He's not just the God of the universe. He's Daddy. He frolic, Jesus, Father, and the Holy Ghost frolic and played like children in the playground before the world began. If I lived in Israel today, my wife and I, say I was out casting out devils or whatever at the Western Wall, hallelujah, out of rabbis, come home back to Jerusalem, wherever we lived, I'd walk in, my wife be cooking falafel or something, I'd say some things in Hebrew to you I'll not mention right now. Hallelujah. And then I would say, after I kissed her, I'd say, Afo Yeladim, where's our children? And she would use this word, Him, Mishachim, Bagan. They are playing in the backyard. 
And if we had a swimming pool in the backyard, I'd go look at my five kids, I guarantee you, would not be sitting there going. They would be inventing games. They'd be doing belly flops off the mini diving board. They'd fix a rope to a tree branch. They'd do anything just to have fun. Come on. That is the imagery of heaven. You cannot make it into heaven unless you become like a child. But you cannot enter into this place unless you know the fear of the Lord and the hatred for evil. Because a lot of folks try to get things funny and get going, and they don't have the fear of the Lord. Maybe it's flaky and off. He goes on and says here, I was daily his delight. You know the Hebrew word for delight is? Sha'ushuim. It means to tell somebody a joke and tickle them. God loves you and I so much that they were telling jokes and tickling one another, hallelujah, and laughing and playing and frolicking when he decided to make the earth, the heavens, hallelujah, Genesis 1, and his man and woman in the garden. Glory to God. That's why if you listen to this woman, you'll become creative. Ideas. Hallelujah. If you listen to the other woman, your whole life is going to become like hell, pulled down into the underworld. So, come on, folks. Come on. It's awesome. I'm telling you, this is, this is revolutionary. Okay, look. I want you to catch on to this now, okay? We're going to switch gears now. Verse 33, heed instruction. Be wise, not neglected. Blessed a man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. You need to underline that because that's part of the Shema Yisrael commandment, to put these commandments upon your doorpost, okay? We'll get back to that in a second. So notice the idea of this person waiting at the doorpost whether, rather than listening to the smooth words of the adulteress. He who finds me finds life and obtains savor from the Lord. Verse 36, he who sins against me injures himself. The word injure there is Hamas, by the way. The same word used for Hamas terrorism to destroy Israel. And all those who hate me love death. Ooh. So we see Israel is caught up in such sexual sin, adultery right now, They've actually given birth to the Hamas organization. How y'all doing tonight? You see the two women, the two wisdoms? Now I go to James. It's a death culture, exactly. That's what you saw. That's what we got to get back over there right away, folks. And your finances will send us there, okay? If you believe what I'm preaching, if you've seen some fruit of what we're doing, send us. We got to go back. Oh, go to James. James chapter 2, now you understand why James talks about wisdom like this. Right after the book of Hebrews. Excuse me, James chapter 3. James 3, okay? And verse 13. How y'all doing? Can you tie it together? Connect the dots? You're smart people. You can do it, yeah. Who among you is wise and understanding? Now, when you say that in the Bible to Jewish people, they think of Mishlei, the wisdom literature. Okay? 
Let him show, not by somebody that graduated from Brandeis or Harvard or McGill University. Come on. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom, wait a minute, folks, listen. This is wisdom. If you have jealousy, selfish ambition, and arrogant, this is the wisdom which does not come down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Speaking this to Jewish people, they know it right away. That deals with the adulteress, the evil woman of Proverbs chapter 5 and 7. Where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and what? Every evil, other translation, every demonic work. So it's not, oh man, this is good. But the wisdom from above, you see it? It's first pure. <laughs> Peaceable, gentle, reasonable. So what, what, let me just break this open for you. James brings the wisdom literature to highlight, because he's writing to the, ten, the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad, James 1.1, 1, 1, he says, the diaspora. He is telling them what they already know as the kids of the two wisdoms. There's the evil woman, the adulteress, okay, that she's out there looking for people not listening to pull them into her house, into the parts of the underworld, hell, right? There is the wise woman, okay, who hates evil, hates arrogancy, and her house is a portal into the glory realm before the world began. So that's why I'm telling you, watch out for Maxwell teachings being used in the church. Use it in the marketplace. Do not use it in the church. Why? Look at this. Verse 15. The wisdom which is not coming down from above, but is earthly, earthly, natural, demonic. What is earthly? Selfish ambition. The reason you read those books is for your ambition. To grow your business, grow whatever. That's not the message we need to be teaching leaders right now. We need to teach them how to die to their ambition. Die to their destiny. It's not about numbers. It's about us decreasing, him increasing. We talked about it last night. And we've been taken in by this adulterous woman. Well, if you implement this certain strategy, you can grow your church like this. I hear it all the time. I've been around this stuff for 20 plus years, folks. I'm from a church growth seminary or Roberts University. If you sing a bunch of hill song, no more than five songs, okay? If you do little skits, okay, little dramas, make sure people get out by 1130, okay? I can go on and on and on how to grow a church. And then train your leaders to multiply themselves in home groups. I'm not saying home groups are wrong. Just listen to what I'm saying. Look at the ambition behind it. That is the woman talking to grow your kingdom, to grow your checkbook, to grow your pride, your ego, okay? And it first comes in as natural wisdom. Well, Brother Scott, you're being too spiritual. The reality is, aha, you've been listening to that evil woman. Because you're not living 
with Abba in that realm where we frolic and play with God. Hallelujah. You're listening to natural wisdom, and you're trying to bring into this church and pull us down. Because the things in the spirit are foolishness of the natural mind. The next thing, it's earthly, natural. You know what the, the Greek word for natural here? Unspiritual. And the third thing is demonic. So, brothers and sisters, we see here that the evil, adulterous woman of Proverbs, who was lurking behind the corner to grab a hold of unsuspecting people, will begin to tickle your fancy in the areas of natural wisdom. That's why pastors are so pressured to change the way they do services, to make things grow. Because they feel you're not successful unless you have a certain number of people or you're growing every year, a certain number. And that is, we're called to make disciples. Can I say something? Jesus didn't say go plant churches. He said make disciples. And it's the two or three together that become a church. It's all about discipleship, folks. And the next progression, as you start to get involved in this natural wisdom, is you start getting closer and closer to the regions of hell. However, the wisdom from above is what? Pure. You've got to follow the purity message. It's not religion. Who's, who has ears to hear what the Spirit's saying tonight? Because the books are being opened, folks. I tremble as I speak. It's not hard to live right. <laughs> it's, in Hebrew, it's called akhirit yamim, consider your latter days. That what I'm doing now, there's coming a day I have to give account of that. That's why people don't, in their right mind don't go rob a bank. Because there's a built-in fear that you'll spend 25, 30, 50 years in prison, Right? So the same way here, you've got to have a built-in fear that what you're doing now, even though it may not manifest, God's wills of justice do turn. They may turn slowly, but they do turn, and you will reap what you sow. And there has to be a built-in fear. How many men did I meet in San Quentin last weekend? Maybe they're good people, family men. Many of them have lost their families and got in a moment of rage and strangled somebody or shot somebody and now in prison for the rest of their life. There has to be a built-in fear that will keep you from evil. And you'll, when you get up there into that realm, when you listen to wisdom, <laughs> and you start getting out of that zone before the world began, you begin to know God you begin to know your predestination. You begin to know him even before you're in your mother's womb. You'll know that place, hallelujah, where you knew him, his hand upon you. Like he said to Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And it will set you apart as a prophet, hallelujah. And you'll be in that place, and you'll start getting tickled by Abba. You'll have the most exciting, I get so drunk on the airplane sometimes. I mean, I'm just driving around to start laughing. <laughs> 
I mean, come on, folks. I don't need a Holy Ghost meeting to get me Holy Ghost up. Hallelujah. Because you get that place of frolicking and laughter with the Lord. Hallelujah. If you come to Israel, I'll show you one of my secret prayer spots. John's been there. We'll get out there early in the morning. The most incredible, beautiful creation you've ever seen. <laughs> you like that plot? The God who made that coral reef. It's nothing compared to what he has prepared for those who love him. Hallelujah. So the rest of the book of Proverbs is just those, what happened to those who obeyed and those who didn't obey. That's really what it is. So instead of trying to memorize the whole book of Proverbs, you know, read one chapter a day. So try to make your day good by reading one chapter a day or whatever. Just start listening to God and you'll get the book of Proverbs taken care of. So he asked, Solomon asked for a hearing heart to discern, Right? that he may judge. So what happens when, when you start getting into this realm, you become a judge, which is the whole kingdom of God is based on the book of Judges, not the book of Kings. Jesus says you should not judge. He's not saying not to judge, but he's schizophrenic. He says we're going to judge angels one day. Paul's coming to judge somebody that's committed sin, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. You're supposed to judge by the fruit. Then he says, don't judge the Beatitudes. That religious spirit, they're so, take things out of context. Jesus says, don't condemn to death. We're called to judge angels. We're going to be judging the world one day. We're called to judge ourselves. Hallelujah. Well, brother, you got a moat in your eye. Try to take the speck out of my eye. Well, the Bible says I take it out of my eye. I can then judge. Read the rest of the verse. And that's what people are so afraid of doing, judging. Nobody wants to be judged. That's why I have so many Jewish attorneys or liars out there. My father was one. <laughs> people looking where they can to get past the book of the law. And we got judges in our land today <laughs> that reinterpret what the law says instead of, interpret, instead of enforcing what the law says. And so God's looking for those He's looking for, because there's no justice in the land, he brought judgment. He's looking for those who stand in the gap right now. Hallelujah. So we see here. Now, looking here also, there's another point to this. In verse 14 of chapter 3, you also know this evil woman, when she manifests, it's strife and division. Selfish ambition is the Greek word of an ancient political process where a man or woman wanted his way in a political process, refused to submit to anybody else's way, drew people after him or herself, and created their own political faction. And that's how church splits happen. Okay? People want their way. They draw people to themselves to believe in that way. 
and rip out the fabric of a family, a local church. And that is the operation of this evil woman who can coin her Jezebel, the adulteress, whatever. Right? Strife and division. you got to flee from it. Some nasty stuff. Now, make one turn to the book of Hebrews as we start to conclude tonight. And you know what? If, if, you, if you don't fast very much, if you don't pray very much, if you're not really hot for Jesus, you're uncomfortable tonight with what I'm preaching. You know, and I don't know what, how else to say it to you. I'll get in your face, you know, because I love you so much. But you're going to stand before God one day. You're gonna, if you do not have an emotional excitement for Jesus, you are backslidden. Paul says, let all those who do not love the Lord be accursed. The word love there is not agape, it's phileo. All those who do not have a soulish friendship for the Lord be accursed. So you can respond to God out of your own spirit because he is agape, amen? And agape has been poured out in our hearts. We can respond to agape because we're born of agape. But what about responding in phileo, which God doesn't give phileo. God gives you your own will, your own alabaster box of your own will, and your own emotions, and if you break it open for something else rather than him, he will spew you out of his mouth. That's why I'm concerned that people don't get more passionate for God. Oh! Maybe it's because we have too much. We have too many entertainments, too many things. I know when I was up 50, 60,000 women before I needed to buy them in the... Uh, Threshing for conference, man, they were fired up. I said, Lord, man, where's all the white people around here? And I've been thinking, you know why these ladies are fired up? Because most of their kids are backslidden. They don't have much. They spend all their money to get to the conference, you know? Most of them work hourly wages, minimum wage or something. No wonder they're so desperate. Well, all the white people, they're not that desperate for God. I want to hang out with those who are desperate because they release more emotions to God. So I begin to ask the Lord, okay, the number one commandment is to listen. Have two ears, one mouth. I'm listening, Lord. I want to be like Solomon. I want to listen. I want to listen to the wise woman, not that evil woman. Okay. And I found something. That totally blessed my socks off. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. So the entire sacrificial system God did not want. In whole burnt offerings, sacrifice for sin, that was taking no pleasure. So, Lord, if you don't take pleasure in that system, what do you take pleasure in? Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the roll of the book it has written me to do thy will, O God. After saying, Sacrifice and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, that was not desired, nor has taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Now notice in verse 13, 
waiting for that time onward till his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So we see that one of the greatest messianic passages of the last days of war, hallelujah, and the enemies being put under our feet, is in context with the sacrifice God's looking for. I just saw like a glory cloud come in when I said that. Hallelujah. And I began to look at verse 5 again, saying, Sacrifice and offerings that was not desired, but a body that's prepared for me. He says, wait a minute, I know that scripture. It's not exactly what the Hebrew says. It's a Septuagint translation. Why is it different? Let's go to it. Psalms 40. <laughs> Whoa! Let's start at verse 1. How y'all doing tonight? Give me some love out there. Hallelujah. Let me see some smiles. If you haven't been living right, just repent. Get it over with. Amen. Let's get moving on. Let the past be the past at last. Amen. Psalms 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and trust the Lord. That's why, and don't get mad at me now, Hillsong from Australia is fine, okay? Okay, it's fine, whatever. But why do we need to stay in the foothills when we need mountain music? Why hill song? Why not mountain song? Listen carefully. That church that those music comes from is one of the leading seeker-sensitive churches in the world that rejected the river of God. Why is it all the songs always talk about I, me? Why is it always choreographed, mixed perfectly, three and a half minutes or whatever? Why? So it can be mass-produced on Christian radio. Where is the spontaneous element when you get singing like that? Nothing wrong with the music. Don't get mad at me. I'm saying there's more. Why stay in the outer court when God wants to go in the Holy of Holies? Because the Holy of Holy music, brothers and sisters, is not I, me, all these things God could do with me that works beautifully with a PowerPoint presentation on Sunday morning. There's no power in it, so what's the point? Let me tell you what Holy of Holy music is. It's the Song of Solomon music. It's bridal music. It's music that can't even be sung in English, it comes out as utterances and groanings of the Spirit. And Christian radio don't like that, and the carnal mind doesn't like it. And God is not going to throw out his pearls before swine. I'd rather be in worship like tonight than anywhere else. Because I love holy of holy music. Okay, use Hillsong to grease the skids, Okay. But keep progressing. 
Because the more you can see that he does for you, hallelujah, the more you want to love him. But why is it these control freaks get up and start giving me announcements when I'm just starting to love him? Because they're scared of pandemonium. They're afraid of things breaking out because they know things. If I, if I keep this thing going, we're going to lose control. But wait a minute, isn't that where we're going? I'm loving him so much, I'm listening to him. I'm going up into the now realm and Abba's tickling me. And I'm playing and frolicking. Why do we got to have professional ushers around here telling everybody to be shut up? Leave those shofars, be wide. Oh, no more banners here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And things get rolling. Oh, we got to shut it down because it's more holy to bring the 11 o'clock cloud in because we got to have two Sunday services. To get the growth, we got to meet the needs of the people. Brother Scott, we got two Sunday morning services. We've grown so much. We got our eyes on some big real estate over here. Can you come preach? You got 35 minutes. Then we have a break for 15 minutes. Then the next sermon comes in. And so I always love to do this. I go, okay, I'll sit down. I'll you know, I'm not coming to rearrange your furniture. I'm an invited guest, so I sit down, and I just start yielding. <laughs> I call it venting. Hallelujah. I said, Lord, I just love you so much. And I start saying, Yahweh, or something like that, you know. And I start going, hallelujah. And the spirit starts moving, and then the musicians, God starts touching them. Hallelujah. And they start going off the sheet music, you know what I'm saying? They start going somewhere. And you just see the pastor. And he jumps up there and shuts it down. You know why? Because it's more important for him to service the 11 crowd that's starting to drive into the parking lot than the move of God. I'm tired of it. How about you? How long are we going to continually, perpetually, every Sunday, grieve the Spirit of God and still believe that God's going to be with us? Who says the North American church, for the most part, is not in the wilderness right now with God taking care of them, okay? But he's waiting for our carcasses to drop to raise up the next generation. Once you touch this realm, you will never settle for anything less. And a lot of times you've got to grab people fighting and screaming into this realm because it's not what their mind wants. Come on, get in that place. Let's go. Come on. So when should worship end? When the spirit lifts and moves to another direction. But if you do that, Pastor, I won't be able to watch NFL, CFL football Sunday afternoon. What 
are we doing? Are we entertaining people? Are, am I up here performing to make you feel good? I mean, what are we called to do? God told me this. This is, he told me, you're called to make disciples, not converts. And the only way you can disciple people is by my spirit. Listen very carefully. It's only by the spirit you can put to death the deeds of the body. The only way you can discipline your lower nature is by the Holy Spirit. But the flesh and the spirit are automatically against each other. Galatians 5, Romans 8. Okay? And the only way to get people that work hard all week and have kids and school and soccer moms and hockey dads, whatever's going on, okay? Listen carefully. The only way you can live a disciplined lifestyle is to get deep downloads of the spirit. Unless my people get under my presence on a weekly basis, their minds will stay suspended in the cares of life and they'll never learn how to crucify the lower nature and be a disciple of mine. I don't care how many books and how many deliverances you go through and how much prayer you get, you've got to know the Holy Spirit, amen? And when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and you listen and obey, that's when you set in mortification into your lower nature. You mortify your lower nature by the Spirit of God, Romans 8 says. And all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Not those who prophesy. Not those who say hallelujah. Come on. It's those who by the Spirit are putting to death the deeds of your lower body. These are the sons and daughters of God. So how can I learn that if I'm in a spirit-sensitive, a seeker-sensitive place? Why is it most people get discipled in home group settings? Because God is, because God the Holy Spirit is not really welcome in our churches in North America. Doesn't make you want to weep tonight. You say, Scott, why talk about this? Because let's get all the laundry out of the laundry hamper right now, amen? And let's get out the bleach and start drinking Clorox in the spirit, hallelujah. Let's get out all the dirty laundry because we're in the day of judgment. It's the Feast of Tabernacles coming up and we got to get ready for it. So I say, wait a minute. So, <clears throat> dear sir, dear ma'am, you do not want, you actually control the leader, worship leaders, okay? You tell them a week before what they're supposed to sing. So it will flow with your message. Why not call these people minstrels? And Elisha called for a minstrel and the hand of the Lord came on him, and then he prophesied. And he didn't know he was, what he was supposed to prophesy until the minstrel came. Come on, hallelujah. So let's let these people get into that flow of a minstrel, and the hand of the Lord will come upon the person that's supposed to speak, and we'll hear a fresh word, not last year's Mother's Brother Day message. Shukabaha. But we need structure. You need structure for your carnal mind and your fear is what you need. That's why all of these, you go, th I'm telling you, go through the Christian bookstore. Just go, just go. And go up and down the aisles and look at how much is all about you. Your destiny, how you can be healed. 
Ah, oh, this. How to have a better family. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Where is the stuff about death, martyrdom, how to maintain the victory until your last heartbeat. Come on, hallelujah. How to rejoice as you're being skinned alive by Muslim fanatics. How to leave it up an inheritance for your children's children before martyrdom. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> How to pray for your pastor that's imprisoned. Come on. Glory to God. It's in the Bible. Look at all the destiny stuff. You're just like. And then you get into the, into the music section. You put on the headphones and listen. It's like heavy metal Christian? I don't understand. I can't even hear the words. How can this be Christian? And why do we got to dress like them to reach them? You see, the thing is, brothers and sisters, and I'm going to be honest with you, for the most part, the church has been listening to the evil woman. My job is to get out of the way and let the service upstairs download into this service right now. Because in heaven, there's a service going on right now. And the books are being opened right now. And the court has begun. And we do not try to build something. Come on. That's what happened when Peter saw the glory. He said, that's it. I'll build three tabernacles for you guys. No. We back off. What did God say? This is my son. Shema. Listen to him. We pull back. Okay, God, we'll do whatever you want us to do. And we become the church without having... To have a building necessarily. The reason we meet in a building is just to keep out of the rain and snow. <laughs> because most of the time we're out there casting out devils, making disciples, hallelujah, gathering here to worship him, have solemn assemblies, amen. Get refueled, amen. Get our radiator flush back out there. Ha, shaka. When you reach that place, if you've not reached it as a Christian, it's available to you. It's available to you. He's calling. I mean, I just want to be honest. Listen, I'm at halftime right now. I'm 45 years old. If I live at 9 to 90, I'm at halftime right now. Some people are in first quarter, other people are two-minute warning here. But anyway. <laughs> but this is the time to make adjustments. And I'm looking. And a friend of mine invites me to his church. We both went to seminary together. We're both the same age. We have kids the same time with each other, whatever. And I look at the people in his church, and I see Cub Scouts. I see Girl Scouts. I wouldn't take any of them to Israel with me. 
So what are we raising? Are we making an audience or are we building an army? You getting fired up, Norm? You look like it, man. You got your shirt unbuttoned now. Hallelujah. It's like you're ready to go to war. <laughs> got your shoes off yet? Hallelujah. <laughs> your wife could hardly even take notes fast enough over there. You know what I'm saying is the truth inside. You know it. And all of us have been looking around. Is it going to happen here? Is it happening here? We watch this. We go to that conference, that meeting, and we come back saying, I know there's more. Psalms 40, here it is. Shapo, yay. Verse 4, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Watch out for the lapsers. L-A-P-S-E. You see them. They come into the church and they upset because all the thing they prayed for about business deal didn't happen. And they start, they get discouraged. They just quit opening their Bible for a while. They quit praying for a while. They quit coming to church when there's revival meetings, you know, and just come in on Sunday. And because they're an elder in the church, I got to be here. Because, but they, the rest of the week, they're lapsing back into their old hobbies. And many, O Lord, my God, verse five, are the wonders which Thou hast done. Thy thoughts toward us, there is none to compare with Thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they would, not, they would be too numerous to count. Here it is, folks. Sacrifice and mill offerings thou hast not desired, but what? My ears thou hast opened. Okay, wait a minute. Why does it say in Hebrews, a body thou hast prepared for me, but the original quote is my ears thou hast opened? Is there a problem? No. Because the writers of the Greek translation called the Septuagint, LXX, understood the spirit that David was writing in. That if God has your whole body, or God has your ears, he has your whole body. So the sacrifice that God wants, period, is ears that are dug out and excavated. The English word may say, my ears thou hast pierced or opened. It's also the same Hebrew word to excavate, to dug, dig out. All of the blood, all the bulls, all the lambs, all the goats, all of the sacrifices, all the praise and worship, all the Christian service, all the things that are done for his name is useless. In this hour, as the books are opened, they're wood, hay, and straw. The only thing God's looking for are those who have allowed him to excavate his hear their hearing. Whew. You say, where did that, because this is the prophesying of Jesus foremostly. How did that happen? When he was in the garden, Abba, take this cup from me. I don't want to do it. Yet not my will Thy will be done. When does your ear get excavated? When God has spoken you to do something and he doesn't speak anymore and you finally obey what he's spoken. 
God may have spoken to you to give $1,000, a penny, go and do something, I don't know. And until you do it, he won't speak to you again. What he does next, he starts bringing people into your life. <laughs> he starts bringing dreams and visions. He starts, come on. So we see here, sacrifice and meal offerings that was not desired, my ears thou hast opened. Then I said, behold, I come, and the scroll of the book is written to me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Inside the books that are open tonight, in heaven, is your life. In the books of heaven is your entire life. And Jesus said, all judgment has been given by the Father to me. Yet it is not I who will judge you on that day, but the words I speak, they will judge you. So, the judgment day will not be a mystery. We have it all written right here. And you stand before God, you'll see the acceptable, good, or perfect will that you did. If we do not line up to what is written in the book, then some of us, it's up to God, we'll not make it. Or we'll stand before him on the judgment seat of Christ and what we did will be assessed by what's written in the books and we will make it to heaven, but we'll have a reward or we'll lose everything we did. And the only way you can know what you're supposed to be doing that will pass that fire is to have your ears excavated. That's why you should have no man take your crown. You don't need somebody else to speak to God for you. You don't need somebody else to prophesy to you. You need to obey what he's already been telling you. Now, this is the ultimate sacrifice God's looking for now. Go with me to Exodus 21. The sacrifice God's looking for is what we call being a bondservant or handmaiden. I'm having fun tonight. How about you? Now, something that interested me when I was in Bible college, I used to study the epistles. I noticed in Paul's early epistles, he said, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at his later epistles, okay, before he died, he says, Lord, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So knowing that he was a son and then he dedicated himself to the ministry, but there came a point in his life that he went not just a servant, he became a bondservant. <laughs> and we see that here in the book of Exodus, what is a bondservant. It says here <clears throat> in verse 1, now these are the ordinances, Exodus 21, verse 1. This, by the way, is the first domestic ordinances given to the people after the Ten Commandments. Now, these are the ordinances which are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, you shall serve for six years. 
On the seventh, he'll go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master goes and gives him a wife, she bears sons and daughters. The wife and her children shall belong to her master. He shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master and my wife and my children, I'll not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with it all and serve him permanently. You and I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He bought us out of the slave market of sin. But there comes a point in your walk as you mature and maturate that you are free. You realize you have freedom. But there comes a decision. Do you love your freedom more or do you love Jesus more? And there comes a point where you say, you know, even though I love my freedom, I love my master more. And you go and present yourself back to that master. And he takes you to the mezuzah, the doorpost. Okay? Where on the doorpost in every Hebrew home is the Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. <laughs> and underneath the Shema, he puts your ear on the door. And it's not a nice little cute earring. Okay? It's an all. It's a very bloody process. And boom, that man or woman who now is a bondservant, a piece of their ear is left on the door. Because wherever they go in the marketplace or the field, they know that this person had their freedom, but they love their master more than their freedom, and a piece of their ear is missing, and they are known. And so when the master comes in from the field or a long trip, he comes to the, the door of his house. The first thing he does, he sees the Shema Yisrael there, which in Hebrew is Shaddai, El Shaddai. But it's also the acronym, Guard the Doors of Israel. Shaddai, Shemer Del Yisrael, is the acronym, Shaddai. <laughs> Guard the Doors of Israel or Shaddai. It's really neat. Anyway. And usually, touch it, kiss it. To remind yourself that you're supposed to get up early at night. When you lay down, when you sit down, you're to engrave these words upon your children. You're to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Come on, hallelujah. And he sees underneath the Shema Israel the piece of a dried ear of a male or female bond slave and knows in himself that there is a man or woman in this house that loves me more than they love themselves that will take a bullet for me. That is the sacrifice the book of Hebrews is talking about. Let's conclude with it. We're not talking about normal Christianity. We're talking about the remnant. Go ahead. If you think you're going to make it into heaven without having to do this, go ahead. I think that's a pretty risky gamble myself. I think you're playing Russian roulette. I think if you take these scriptures and dismiss them and say, well, God loves me, okay, 
I've prayed the prayer. I believe he rose from the dead. I've been forgiven. I've been water baptized. I try to do my best to be a best person. I'm not perfect. If you try to live that, to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, okay, and not listen to the sound of the trumpet tonight, I pity you. Because the Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's why we were living when today was called the days of the falling away. And that's why I'm surrounding myself with those who are running forward, not falling back. Hallelujah. You say, what is it going to take to get people to run forward? Maybe another 911 event. Maybe something's going to happen that's going to scare the sin out of people. I don't know. We'll be there to help them. Amen? But I'm not waiting for something bad to happen to get fired up. I can see the hand running the wall now. Let's read this freshly in this context. Hebrews 10. Hallelujah. Verse 2. Otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have a consciousness of sin. The reason I don't need to hear the message over and over that God loves me because I already know he loves me. Because my mind has been washed away from even the remembrance of sins I used to do. You don't need to tell me that gravity works. I know it works. You don't need to tell me to breathe in. My body knows how to breathe. Well, what a God has perfectly ordained even the atmosphere, the oxygen, 19%. Come on. Various gases, 1%. 79% nitrogen. A perfect mix to live on this planet. There comes a point in your maturity, hallelujah, that no matter what you do, you don't need to be told that God loves you because you already know it. You know you've been forgiven. There's no more remembrance. You're now pressing into a deeper place. You don't want milk. You want meat now. Is that all the things that God has done for me? It's what can I do for God? How can I please him? And that's the best joy. Let me tell you. That's why people, the bars are full tonight. The sporting events are fit, packed out tonight. It's because people are trying to find something to get that consciousness of sin out. Verse 5, therefore, when he comes in the world, he says, can somebody turn off the heat? It's getting kind of hot in here. Or is that the fire of God? <laughs> Verse 5, therefore, he says, when he comes in the world, sacrifice and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. Original Hebrew is, my ears thou hast dug out. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast taken no pleasure. So, as we know from Hebrews 11, without faith is impossible to please God, right? So the ultimate bungee jump 
that we can do to please God is by faith put our ears on the door. Verse 9, he said, behold, I've come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. You will not know the next chapter for your life and God's plan until you put your ear on the door. When did Jesus put his ear on the door? Lord, not my will, thy will be done in the garden. He didn't say, Father, not my will. He said, Abba, Daddy. <laughs> In Hebrew, Av is Father. Abba is a play on words. My kids, when they were little, they didn't come and say, Av, Av. They'd say, Abba, 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 Abba. <laughs> it's a play on words. God, Jesus is not saying, Father. He's saying, Daddy. Take this cup from me. Abba. Unless you know God as daddy, unless you enter that door and let him tickle you, <coughs> you're not going to have the strength and the faith to go through this testing hour. Whoa! How y'all doing tonight? Oh, the night's still young. Hallelujah. Prayer meeting for Israel starts in 12 hours. Hallelujah. And verse 13 kicks in. <coughs> waiting from that time onward till his enemies have made a footstool for his feet. You know what Jesus is waiting for? To take out the final enemy, which is death, fear of death. You and I putting our ears on the door. Jesus already defeated Satan. He's waiting for his body to catch up and follow his example. And man, I tell you, we have built spiritual, we have filled out seminaries and volumes and volumes of teaching to keep us from this commitment and to think we're still going to heaven. I'm trying. Pray for me. Hallelujah. I smell some brake pads burning here. We're going to get back in the Bible let the Bible interpret itself. We got too much teaching. I talk to people all the time. They go, oh, well, somebody prophesied over me. Who cares what they prophesied over you? What did God say to you? I don't care what dream somebody had about you. What is God saying to you? I want to hear from the word of God. What is he saying to you? I can go to a conference and pay $50 and stand in line and get a prophetic word given. A spiritual reading. That's what they. Am I right or am I wrong about this? Did you know when I was walking through your city today, okay, and I felt this disgusting spirit, and I turned and looked, and it said, spiritual readings. It was a New Age Center with the very witch sitting there sneering at me on the steps. 
I know that spirit. And so now prophetic conferences are, will give you prophetic readings. Why are we trying to imitate the dark realm? You guys are going to have to run with this message in Canada. Because I can't keep coming up here, amen? You've got to run in Edmonton with this message. You've got to run through the Italian community, brother, in Woodbridge, hallelujah, whatever. Oh, we've got to start telling people, put your ear on the door. Put your ear on the door. Did you know that that is a very sacrificial position to give your whole life? But God's wrath comes against those people that mistreat his bondservants. David quit being a military leader, became a king, walked around the balcony, looked down there at the spring, at the spring and saw Bathsheba and says, I want her. She belongs to me. She did not belong to him. And he went and laid with her. When it was marriage covenant, it says that he knew her. Intimacy, da'at. But when it was adultery, it was never used the word intimacy. They found out that she was pregnant. And so he calls in for her husband from the battle. What was his name? Uriah. You know what Uriah means in Hebrew? You know what Uriah means in Hebrew? The glory of the Lord. He says, go home, be with your wife. Not so, my Lord. The men of Israel are in battle, and I should go home, be with my family? And instead, he slept at the door of David's house with the other bondservants. Why? That's what bondservants do. They put their ear not on the door just as a ceremony. They literally mean they're there at their beck and call. And David found out about it and said, send him back into battle. And when the battle gets too fierce, pull away from him, let him be destroyed. And when Israelites are killed as it is today, the enemy takes their body, disfigures them. Come on. The same spirit today as it's back then. And Nathan comes in and says, what? And from that moment on, David never recovered his kingship, his family, or anything. Everything went down. And that was the moment that David's tabernacle fell. What's Amos 911? Anybody know what Amos 911 is? It'll come about in that day that I'll restore the fallen tabernacle of David. Could it be what I'm preaching tonight, the word that God put on my heart, is the restoration of the tabernacle of David, is the true restoration of the tabernacle of war, the tabernacle of worship and prayer, the tabernacle that David lost when he killed the bondservant. And Uriah was not even an Israelite. He was a foreigner. And so when pastors and leaders take people that have given themselves and put them on the door to be God's bondservants and handmaid, and they mistreat them, 
or they use them for their own kingdom building and their own franchising. Come on, that incurs the wrath of God. Jesus says to seven churches, he who has ears, let him hear. How can we really hear what he's saying unless we put our ear on the door? If God comes to you in a dream tonight, says, ask what you want. Don't say, Lord, I'll take that American lotto, 81 million. Say, Lord, give me a hearing heart. May this be our prayer. Draw with me to Isaiah 50. I know it's a sobering message, but we need it. I, so I can't be happy and joyful and dance around tonight when it's the trumpets are blowing all over the world and most people blowing the trumpets are unsaved Jewish people who don't even know what's about to happen to them unless they repent. Isaiah 50 and verse 4. How many of you would love to have a friend that took their ear off and put it on the door for you? Somebody you could trust. Hard to find that, isn't it? Verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain their word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear or to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear. We could stop right there and say, isn't that a wonderful verse? And I'm so tired of these people taking for a nice scripture like that and using it for a nice prayer communion. God's going to speak to us. And they don't read the rest of it because what God's awaking his servant to is something what Jesus went through. Let's read it. The Lord God has opened my ear. Verse 5, I was not determined. I gave my back to those who strike me. Speaks to those who pluck out the beard. We're talking about when we give ourselves to God and he wakens us in the morning to hear. He's telling us to go and suffer his reproach. That's the deepest listening we could ever do. And how many books do we have? I have them in tapes. How to hear God's voice. How to prosper. Be blessed. All these things. And they're just kitty water. Yes, we're starting to hear God's voice. Yes, we're starting to prophesy. But what is the culmination of all this? To be a bondservant. And if need be, bear his reproach. Go outside the gate, suffering his. Oh, I don't want to wake up because I know God tells me to. He may call me to Haiti. Well, what's wrong with that if he calls you to Haiti? I don't know if I go on a 40-day fast, you know. Yeah, I'll lose all that weight, but I don't know. God may call me to Ethiopia. Or the Sudan. What's wrong with that? God may tell me to sell my house. What's wrong with that? Please recalibrate ourselves tonight. What is wrong with us giving our whole life for Jesus? I could stop the message right now and say, amen, Brother Scott, that's awesome. I want to be like that. I want to give my heart. I love him so much. 
But do we really love him to the point that we'll give ourselves like Jesus was given on the cross? Because until there's the spilt blood of martyrdom, the North American church will continue to get colder and colder. Behold, I give you power to be my witnesses. The Greek word is martyr. So the Holy Spirit given in services is not to entertain us, but to continually, perpetually lead us to death to self. Death to self. Come on, hallelujah. That's the joy. We die, we live. We die, we live. We die, we live. Death works in us, but life in you. Oh, hallelujah. We consider the sufferings in this present time. What sufferings? I ain't talking about car wrecks and sickness and poverty. I'm talking about the sufferings of having to die. When God wakes you up in the morning and says, son, get your shofar and travel this continent. But Lord, I have five beautiful kids and a wife and a wonderful family, and I hardly see them sometimes. He says, you obey me or I'll raise somebody else up. Okay, I'll go. And God takes care of my family. At first I thought it was a cross. It's now been a joy. And now God is saying deeper. Who, where in North America will go back eastward to Israel, to the Arabs, to the Israelis, to that region of the world? And to bring in the 1040 window back to Jesus before he returns to planet earth. Well, we use the excuse, oh, they're all coming over here. I agree, they're all moving here, but how many of them are really getting saved? How many of the Muslims are getting saved here? This is what separates the men from the boys, the ladies from the girls. This is what makes your life a fragrant offering to God. Hallelujah. This is what he's asking for. Are you going to rise up and come to my perfect will for you? Yes, I love you. I can't show you the whole pattern all at once because it'll blow your mind. But I've been leading you through my love and through my presence and through trials. And I've always been with you. But I bring you to a point now at the end of this age. And on this night, Yom HaTeruah, the night of the trumpets, will you extend yourself? And if you do, I'll be your God like you've never known me before. I'll provide for you like you've never known before. I, you and I <laughs> will do exploits like you've never known before. Because those who know me will be strong and do exploits. Yes, you knew me before. You've known me, but I'm calling you to something deeper tonight. And if you don't obey, you don't know me. You knew me yesterday, but do you, you won't know me until you pay it. This cost, this next door. And that's where most people stop. I know him. No, you don't. You knew him. You stopped. And you become fossilized and denominationalized. Because you knew him and you stopped at that blessing and said, this is great. I'm going to stay right here. And God's saying, you knew me. You don't know me. And Paul in prison, a bondservant, not a servant anymore, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, in chains in the Praetorian guard in the Philippi jail, excuse me, in Roman jail, right into the Philippians and says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. Whew. 
I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto death. Folks, I normally don't preach like this, but it's coming out of me like a river. You say, why? I can feel it inside. Just like God told me to blow the shofar and the false messiah drops dead in 1994. Just like he tells us to do all these things. I can feel it inside that we're running out of time. I don't know what it means. All I know is that I want to be ready. And I know how to be ready now. Not by reading somebody's book, but I just read the book. The sacrifice God wants is my ears to be opened. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 28. You ever heard of that scripture? All these blessings should come upon you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. You remember that? You know what Hebrew it is? Tishma Shema. In your listening, listen. To obey God in Hebrew is in your listening, listen. So everybody can hear my voice tonight, but in hearing the voice, are you letting it drop into here? Or is it just kind of still up here? See, so if you make a decision, yes, clink. <laughs> That's when angelic activity goes in operation. That's when <laughs> things begin to happen. And that's why all this wonderful music we have about God, heal song, whatever you want to call it, doesn't cause it to go chink inside of you. It's the bridal music. It's the deep, deep bridal chamber music, the Song of Solomon music. Hallelujah. The spontaneous worship, melodies from heaven. Hallelujah. That woos us into this place. Folks, let's read this again. Verse 4. The Lord God has given me, Isaiah 50, verse 4, the tongue of a disciple. That I may know how to sustain the weary with the word. He awakens by me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen to something. How many people have seen that before on a devotional? But why don't they have it with it? Why are we so scared of the next verse? The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not dismayed. I turned back. I gave my back to those who strike me. My cheeks luck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord God helps me out of disgrace. Therefore, I've set my face like flint. And I'll not be ashamed. This picture you see in Israel here, Ha'er Ha'it is Eagle Mountain. Actually, in the driveway, you go up to Eagle Mountain. Let's be prophetic eagles tonight and see what God's doing. You know, God may call you guys. <laughs> he may call you to do something, and there's no, the money's not really there yet, or that's not there. And he doesn't care about that. He wants to know if you trust his voice more than have everything lined up. And when you step out and fly by instruments, hallelujah. Whew. I remember pastoring in New York City. I didn't, I hated traveling. Jewish people like are very homey, family. I love being around the family. I love being around Jewish people, witnessing to them. Okay, we have problems with rabbis every once in a while. It's okay. And God came to me in the night and he says, I want you to travel and stir up my church. 
He says, you were faithful to blow the first trumpet at the false Messiah. I want you to blow the second trumpet at Joel. I didn't know there was two trumpets at Joel. I want you to go to my church and start proclaiming solemn assemblies. Fear gripped my heart as I resigned from the pastorate, having a steady income every two weeks. Fear gripped my heart about not knowing where I was going to go or sleep. Fear, come on, folks. Thank God I got a wife. Hallelujah. Let's do it. Hallelujah. And we did it. Hallelujah. Now we could slip in the Ritz or sleep in a ditch. It doesn't matter. Get an airplane to go to Israel, it's no big deal. It's like driving down the street to Tim Hortons. Hallelujah. But now there's more he's requiring of me and of you. I know what it is. I can't share with you what it, all it is. It's personal between me and the Lord. But I do know this. Hallelujah. I read the end of the book and we win. <laughs> what lays before us, and I want to share this. Some of you here have prayed for us have given financially that we could go to Israel the last two times. Each time we've come here, you guys, for the size of this congregation, you've been very generous and sowing. And we've seen wonderful things against Hamas and Hezbollah. We've seen things happen in Israel that are just worth the whole trip, okay? But three days ago in Ottawa, I saw the president of Iran speaking at the United Nothing, United Nations. And the Lord said to me, it's the spirit of the Antichrist and the false prophet deceiving the whole world. The deceptions that were coming out. <clears throat> and then I went to the Jerusalem Post to read up all he said. The Lord says, don't listen to what he said. Read the commentary about him. And I went to the commentary part. It talks about in 2005 when he did the same thing that he had a luminary experience. He calls it a metaphysical messianic event. And I knew right away he was moving in sorcery. And I know in my spirit that Israel is not able to withstand this underworld spirit because they themselves are full of the devil. And it's going to take Christians like you and I to extend ourselves to go into that land. Hallelujah. And now is the time, brothers and sisters. My wife and I, we put our house up for sale. Glory to God. We've been telling our kids, you know, start winding down some of your friendships. And uh, the younger ones are like, yeah, let's go to Israel. The older ones are like, oh, do we got to go? I, I, I. I said, wait a minute. It's not about us anymore. It's about Jesus. Oh, okay. But still, it's difficult for the kids, you know, in one sense. I believe God wants to bring this river to Israel. You can visit our website, sign up to be a monthly partner, whatever. Whatever God speaks to your heart as you listen. Brothers and sisters, the greatest days of the glory of God are just before us. And it's always the darkest before the dawn. There's always messages like this come forth before the glory comes in. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be glorious tomorrow's service. 
It's always this death process before the glory comes next. I've noticed it throughout the years of holding revival meetings. Hallelujah. <laughs> Your destiny here is related with Israel. You're here because God brought you here. I asked the Lord to do not bring the people that are not supposed to be here. Hallelujah. If you're not able to give tonight, then send us a gift before the end of the month. If you've already given, I'm sure you guys are experiencing blessings of sowing into Israel. We have a lot of reports coming in. People just really just, not only just by giving, but just the good reports of what's happening to them personally. Hallelujah. You may not like the delivery, but that's just the way I am. Filter through it. Hang on to the word. Hang on to the word that was spoken. I'm not even sure how to end this service. I don't think we're going to end it. But if the world is talking, Time Magazine, others are saying apocalypse now. Why are we so scared at the end of the time? Has anybody here read the book called The Heavenly Man? About a Chinese, the Chinese church? Have you read the sequel called Back to Jerusalem? You need to get it back to... They have a second book now. It's called Back to Jerusalem. And it's the vision that was given to the Chinese church 30,000 people a day are being saved in China over 100 million Christians are, listen very carefully folks are gearing up to head to Jerusalem right now they've already sent out 100,000 missionaries they're walking by foot through western China into Nepal, Tibet coming into India right now on their way to Jerusalem. They're stopping in the villages. They're not building any buildings. All they're doing is starting home group meetings, making disciples. Many have been martyred already. Their next leap is into Pakistan. They're going all the way to Jerusalem. God has spoken to a great army of Chinese believers to reach the strongholds of Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism on the frontiers of their country. Ah! I whipped, wept as I read these accounts. People say, oh, that's just make-believe. I met a pastor last month in Atlanta from India. 
And I asked him, I says, do you have any Chinese believers? He goes, how did you know? He says, they've been walking by foot for years through Tibet and the Himalayas. And they're now coming into northern India, starting churches. Some are being martyred. I said, praise God, they're halfway there. <laughs> Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Syria, Jerusalem. What's happened to them? They got a hold of the Bible. <laughs> they got a hold of the Jesus of the Bible. You recommend that book, Pastor John, The Heavenly Man? Did, did you cry reading it? You know what he says in that book? He says that he spent years in prison, you know, tortured, electrocuted, horrible things they did to him for his faith. But he said the greatest persecution he received is when he came to Canada, when people lied about him and spoke against him. He said it was worse, the persecution and the lies people spoke behind his back in Canada, just recently, than all those years in prison in China. I love you guys. I don't know of any other way to ex extend ourselves for Jesus. Last night and tonight was the deepest I know how to preach on this realm. I think we should call it the hidden altar. Hallelujah. Don't take this pearl and forget about it. He's calling you. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. Oh, Lord, I feel your spirit moving. Thank you for giving us the Cliff Note version of the books being opened in the court in session in your throne room. Hallelujah. Jesus, forgive us for not putting you in the center of everything. Forgive us for not following you outside the camp and bearing your approach. Forgive us for not getting up in the morning because we knew that you'd speak something to us our flesh didn't want to do. But get us to the place that we'll get up and give our beard to those who pluck it out. Give our face to spitting. Give our back to the whip. Because if they whipped you, they'll whip us. Thank you for the honor of suffering for your name. Teach us to count it all joy, to leap for joy. Lord, break the spirit of the adulterous wisdom, earthly, natural wisdom, secular wisdom, earthly, natural, secular wisdom. Break it over your church.
I want to thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says if anybody would call upon your name, they'd be saved. I'm calling today, Lord. Save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www.flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.